0: Welcome to season nine of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our conversation, I would like to acknowledge the Darawa people, the traditional custodians on the land in which I'm recording, and pay my respects to elders past and present and emerging. We respect and honor Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past, present, and future. And I acknowledge the stories, traditions, and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. It's my pleasure to introduce you today to the brilliant Lauren Sayer. Lauren's recent roles have included Head of Education at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, where she championed the cause for world-class pedagogy and continuous learning for those students who couldn't attend school in traditional settings. Lauren is now the Executive Director of Research and Innovation at Melbourne Girls Grammar School. She is developing best practices in learning technology and digital literacy. And building an evidence base for future focus evidence-informed teaching and learning. I hope that you enjoy this wide-ranging discussion with Lauren Sayer. Lauren Sayer, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time. Where are you phoning in from? Um, from Melbourne Girls Grammar this morning from my desk.
0: Lovely. So your desk, well, when we're recording, it is uh, technically the middle of school holidays. Do those rules not uh, apply to you?
1: No, no. Being on the school executive, we were back on the 9th of January. Okay. And um, I think it's, it's something a lot of people don't necessarily realise is the amount of people who are at school during the day. Um yeah.
0: So when people say uh, you got into teaching for the holidays and the hours, what what's your response to that?
1: Oh, I laugh because I've worked in the <laughs> private sector and I can tell you that.
0: That is if, not the case. That is
1: not the case.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, quite possibly the most important uh, question for our conversation. What's your coffee order? I know you're a, 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 a keen Malburian, so uh um.
1: Well, I'm gonna disappoint people from Melbourne. I don't drink coffee. Um, my no, favorite no. coffee order is uh, loose leaf chai tea.
0: Right. Um, that has surprisingly come up quite a bit. Um, there's a number of teachers. I just assumed all teachers were caffeine addicts, but that's not the case. Did you used to be or uh
1: No, never been a coffee drinker. Coke Zero, yes, but no coffee.
0: Is that your guilty drink of choice? Coke yes, pretty much. <laughs> um is there an item that is uh, still on your bucket list one that you are yet to uh undertake
1: there is although I have booked for it so that's an interesting right. one okay. So, in East Java um in Indonesia there's a volcano called the Ijen crater okay and there is blue fire instead of red fire um blue fire and it's the largest acidic lake in the world and I've bucket list is to hike it but come April I hope to have achieved that one.
0: Are you a keen uh outdoors person?
1: No not really. Because <laughs>
0: an acidic um, lake doesn't seem like something that would be on most people's bucket lists.
1: No but it, it is absolutely gorgeous and I love Indonesia but no I'm not I was given a choice in pre-service university to um do phys ed and outdoor ed or phys ed and it and I didn't like camping so um I did (laughs) it nice one um
0: is there a book um that has made you stop and reconsider a few things in your life it could be around education or it could be more broadly
1: yes um and it's it's a it's a work of fiction um and it's called jennifer government and this is a, it's written by an Australian order. It's a dystopian novel where okay. in 2036, the world is run and decisions are made by corporations, right. not by a government. And your surname is where you work. So you might be Mattel or Coca Cola or McDonald's. And interesting. The main antagonist in that is Jennifer. Government and she works in the government. So, yes, but I really, it made me very much consider how much control we give to major corporations and information. And it sort of made me um, think a bit more carefully about what I put out there.
0: Mm. I I was having a conversation with somebody earlier and they were saying, they reminded me of a quote, which is, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. It made me think about the amount of information I willingly hand over in the name of convenience to uh, to these big corporations
1: oh and with the amount of cybersecurity hacks it's amazing how much information they have
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: um is there something that you've
0: recently changed your mind about
1: yes uh, well not recently i would say in the last 5 to 10 years but i i think this question is I think this is a really interesting one was um In my pre-service teaching and in my first, I would say, my formative years of teaching, whole language and um, reading through exposure to books instead of direct instruction of phonics um, Mm. was how we were taught to teach young people to read. And as I read and learnt more about the science of learning and evidence base, totally changed. And I think it's a really interesting area where, we were all told this is the way to teach reading. And it wasn't how we learnt growing up, but we were told this is best practice and you used to have people come into your classrooms and model and we all set up classroom libraries in the hope that people would magically learn to read (laughs) through exposure to books where really we needed to be teaching the sounds. And um, so I think the science of reading um, has really, I've, I've changed my mind about um, thankfully, I think, because it's great to see young people having success in reading where I saw so many people struggling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we've kind of answered sort of the next question, which is um, what book do you think should be mandatory a mandatory part of teacher training? And would you suggest that or would you suggest something?
1: Uh, I, I actually I've got a couple that I think are really important. And I think the Everybody needs to read Rosenshine's Principles in Action. Um, everybody needs to have the teaching walkthroughs, but I think everybody needs, um, and it might be one that you might not have seen before, and it's um, e-learning and the science of instruction. And I think what good digital course content design is is incredibly, incredibly important and often forgotten. Um, I think we learn a lot about face-to-face instruction, but how to design an online course Mm. where basically every single school has a learning management system, wow something that I think people are expected to somehow learn via osmosis. And I think that it's really important that you learn what is a good online course
0: yeah and and it's so topical at the moment isn't it with with schools sort of emerging from um lockdown and I know Melbourne uh, for those yeah. people who have been listening around the world uh, Melbourne has had a particularly rough trot um but I think these questions of the role of schools and how we create um an online experience that in many ways replicates but also can enhance the learning process these are incredibly topical and I'll add uh, links to those uh works in the show notes so people get a Um, people are referred to those. Um, I'm just interested Lauren uh, what was your upbringing like and what are you most grateful for from your parents?
1: Um, It was probably rather chaotic Um, I think.
0: A very personal question we've only just met but. it's No
1: that's okay Um, I think um, my father was um, plagued with mental illness and um, drug and alcohol conditions and I think um, my parents divorced and my mother brought up myself and my sister as a single parent. And I think um, she did incredibly, incredibly well for um, bringing up two strong, Bolshe women now um, <laughs> in an area of um, her life. And I think I'm most grateful for for my parents was my mother's unwavering support of when all things seemed, you know, too hard. She would always manage to make things and I think make things work. And I think it's wow. really um, single parents, m- mothers or fathers often don't get the rewards. But you know, my mother would sometimes work two or three jobs to make sure that we could go on holidays. And um, wow. I think you've got to make sure that there's a thankfulness and a gratefulness in that space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and so what was your um, relationship like with school? Um, because i uh, i was I'm also from a um a single parent family, and for me, school was a I wouldn't say an escape, um, but it was a place that I just thrived and I loved. And I had this really incredible relationship with my teacher, and my parents both did a great job of i think of 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 raising me on their own. but I had a i, I think I do think that that impacted my um relationship to school and 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 my teachers is that something which is similar to you or what was your relationship like with your school
1: oh oh, my relationship it it was a bit fraught I think I I did I did well but I would say it was an interesting thing at the time I went to Victoria's largest state school
0: okay
1: um so it was easy to be a number in a very very large state school um and I I sort of sat under the radar and it was I I did well I, I was school captain in my final year and school was great in that space but I don't think I hit my full potential and I think the interesting bit of that is at two years ago I was formally diagnosed with ADHD and it was quite an interesting thing of going through school reports and looking at them and um you sort of look and now I know there's a lot of women who have been, women have traditionally been underdiagnosed in this space. And it's a really funny thing of all of the warning signs as an educator were there, but I wasn't a disruptive student. So therefore I would have never hit the radar in terms of um, anything different, but it's, it's, I think my school did the best they could with in a really, really multicultural area um, with, I think we were at a seven to 12 school. We were two and a half thousand students in the nineties. It was huge. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that is immense. Um, you, you must have done something though to stand out in, in, in some way because obviously becoming a school captain is, um, it it, it is a huge achievement. So what were you like at school? and, And did you ever sort of think you would be in the position that you are now? Um, Leading yeah. A, yeah it's cool
1: um no I don't look I suppose for people on the outside probably I was on school council in my final two years and I think understanding the decision making structures of schools was very very powerful I think what was I like at school a bit like I am now I was never short of a few words and um didn't mind getting up and holding the microphone in that space but I think yeah did I think I would go back into schools? Um, Probably not. But um, I think if I go back further, and I had the most amazing primary school, and that was where I started my teaching career. So I think my years in primary school probably um, totally made me go, oh, yes, I could see myself back here.
0: Wow, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And, was there a thinking back to primary school or or, or even to high school like was there a, a teacher that had a particular impact uh on your life and um and why and that doesn't need to necessarily be a positive impact i mean some people have talked about how teachers made them feel when they got things wrong or when they yeah but was there a teacher that had an impact in your life
1: um I don't think in my schooling, in, as a pre-service teacher, there was a leader who had a huge impact on my life. Right, um, and and I think that was incredibly. But I, I think as a, I think I just had teachers who were easy to talk to, believed in me, and um, but it's funny. I've often reflected, was there that standout teacher for me? And no, there wasn't. But there were there were a community of great people, and right. I think that that's an important thing.
0: Yeah and we'll definitely touch on that about how do you um, uh, create a community of uh, or a school community a thriving school community but what was it about your early career teacher mentor or supervisor that had a particular impact on you and and have you tried to kind of emulate any of that in your own leadership?
1: Oh some of it I have but not all of and I think you'll be aware when I tell you. So um, I was an early career teacher in a primary school and I to this day I can't remember, but I, I said so I've obviously said something wrong and I ended up in the principal's office. Oh dear. Yeah. And he said to me, Oh, Lauren, you give me a few headaches. What are some you know, how can you how can you fix this? And he said, There's two types of teachers that are there. And he's like, There's you, and then there's the teacher upstairs. The teacher upstairs will never ever cause me any issues she's brilliant and then there's you and by this stage I'm crying absolutely crying and um that was and then he said and you'll give me grief you'll give me and you'll be in my office more than once and I went okay bawling my eyes out and he was very assume, you know huge man and then the next bit I think was the important bit and he said but you know what's different Lauren, you're you're going to go home tonight. You're going to have a cry. You're going to, you know, and he goes, but you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to be better than you were yesterday. And he wow. said, you're going to keep on becoming better and you're going to keep on making mistakes. And he said, so, and he said, where other teachers won't make all the mistakes you make, but they won't get any better ever. So I think what he did that was incredibly powerful was, Give me a safe space where I could make mistakes, but show me that as long as I'm in learning and improving from those, I will become brilliant. And I think that stays with me whenever I have these setbacks in, in where I go, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I go, okay, so what's the learning and how can I get better?
0: I think there's so much in that, isn't it, about like, I mean, we've all had those days in as teachers, as leaders where we go, oh, my gosh, that I didn't see that one coming or that didn't turn out in any way like I thought it would. And um, I know one of one of my strengths is that I just keep turning up like <laughs> I will just keep turning up. I can go home. I can have a cry. I can have a glass of wine. I can have a complain to someone. But then the next day you get up and you do your job. And I think sometimes I think teaching is that is, is we are the greatest actors because we have to stand up and whatever is, and this is not necessarily a, a positive thing, but whatever is happening personally or professionally, we have a lesson or a, a series of lessons to de- to deliver to a group of children that deserve our best. Um, and it's really difficult, I think, sometimes just to maintain that <laughs> that level of perseverance. Are you a particularly... Um, uh determined person uh, have you uh, uh, continued to uh, to take that into the rest of your professional career of just kind of showing up and doing your job or have you got better at kind of dealing with what's going on underneath all of that
1: oh I think I've gotten better over the years I think I think the big bit and um is through working five and a half years at the Royal Children's Hospital yeah um I think teaching's great to put a mirror back up to yourself and your issues because you've always got well in a classroom you've always got a class of students that are there waiting for you yeah and In hospital you've also got students that yeah. sometimes fighting for their life yeah but so committed to show up to learn and you don't have to go to school in hospital it's a choice so I think always having people front of mind I think my catastrophe scale in life is a bit different because I look and go, well, my day was bad, but then I, every day I would interact with people whose days were much worse than mine could ever imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was that particularly transformative that time working at the Children's Hospital for you? Did it just help you put things in perspective? Did you know, What was that experience like?
1: I think it made me understand the power of education beyond schooling and I think that's a strange yeah get, of how important education is beyond what a school is and the power of teachers to provide not just learning through curriculum but actually to provide what is a whole life and I think it's a really interesting bit because mm-hmm. in a hospital Teachers are nice to have, but you're not necessary because the first, the primary thing is to make sure that someone is healthy enough to to leave. But what you, what we had there was over two and a half thousand students every year who came in that wanted to keep on learning no matter what was going on, and that would include students in palliative care who we're never going to get out of the hospital, but still, you spoke earlier, Matthew, of showing up. These are kids that would show up yeah. to class every day and they had two months to live. And I think you look at that and go, well, how powerful is your job if you've got yeah. people who do that by choice every day? And I think it was transformative because I saw what education offered. And a young patient once said, and I stays with me forever, of, every day 20 or 30 people come into my hospital room and do something to me you come in and do something with me and help me do things myself and that is very different and I I always find that now of when I'm in a classroom am I doing to or doing with or supporting them learning Um, because I think that's a very important thing because it changes the power structure in in your classroom.
0: Yeah. So what what do you do now if someone was to to ask you that question at the at over a barbecue? Um, what what do you do now? What does the majority of your your, your day look like, and how's your time spent?
1: I think teachers are a funny thing, and if someone asks me over a barbecue, even though I'm on a school executive and I've got a very fancy title. I think the first thing I tell people is I'm a teacher and I teach and they'll go, well, what do you teach? Yeah. And this year I'm teaching a brand new subject that I've developed in project management uh, because I think it's incredibly important for kids, for young young women to learn how to project manage. But I think what, what do I do at work at, with the title of executive director, research and innovation? Well, I think first and foremost, Back to that is I teach, I teach a class and I'm a practitioner in the school. But then under that portfolio what I think we try to do is support our teachers across the school in professional learning and um, making sure that we have access to the right amount of evidence and innovation. Um, I lead digital learning and technologies across, across our school and i I'm um, i also lead our librarians and i I think in another life, I would have loved to have been a librarian I think i I love librarians, so Same. yeah, I think sitting in that space all together it's really about supporting our teachers to be the best they can be here um in teaching and learning every day,
0: yeah. And what are, um, and we'll get into a little bit of the context of Melbourne Girls Grammar School in a moment. It's obviously a a, Mm -hmm. a really unique school for those people that are not familiar with it, but um, what are some of the things in your current role which energize and excite you? Um, And also, what are some of the things that you find particularly challenging?
1: I think the thing that energizes and excites me in this space is when I get a teacher that will either drop past my door or send me an email and go I want to have a chat about my career and professional learning and it can be such a wide-reaching discussion of where where they're interested in where they want to go in in their in their teaching and learning career and their career in schools I think that's really exciting I think the innovation aspect of my role I thrive in of actually preparing stuff at the moment around AI and ChatGPT and where we sit yep. in that space and, you know, building new subjects and building new pathways and developing partnerships with other organisations to develop credentials in the school. I think that what do I find challenging? Um, I think sometimes, and it was a big learning curve for me here, I think most people know me in a digital space, but I'm i am I'm the executive in charge of the IT team. And all of a sudden moving into a, an executive role, I think in previous roles, digital learning, I left the IT bit to IT. And now yeah, wow. sort of being concerned with cybersecurity and are our servers and have we got a good backup plan and our infrastructure. Now I have lots of people that support me in that space, but to have the knowledge of how networks run in the school and how do we protect ourselves in a very volatile cybersecurity environment, I think has been a big learning curve and managing risk mm. and what risk looks like in schools. I think it's. I think moving into this exec role, governance and risk have probably been an area of challenge, but an area of great learning as well.
0: Yeah. And I'm just curious, Lauren, how do you um, define leadership and also how or has that changed um, over time? You mentioned sort of the spontaneity of having someone kind of pop in and, and have a conversation and um, that for me um, seems like that hasn't always been, that approachability hasn't always been the focus in leadership, but but what are some of your thoughts on what leadership means and, and how has that changed over time if it has at all?
1: I think there's so many out there definitions of leadership that it's a really interesting question you've got I think for me
0: it's a very broad it's a whole podcast series in itself one yeah
1: I think for me leadership's really around having a network of people that you support and that support you and I think that's a really interesting bit of that sort of I think it's being able to support others and be, but whilst being able to achieve great things in your, in your practice yourself. I think it's, I, I suppose I subscribe very much to that servant leader of how do I help others be the best they can be? And then not what do I get from that? What do I learn from that as a result? I think it's a really important question in my life of that. And I think I'm most proud in leadership of the informal leadership, the people who reach out and say, hey, can you help me with this? Or I get people who approach me on Twitter of, can I can I see that? I think that's, to me, what leadership is. I think the formal leadership, which comes with the job title, um, doesn't get me up as much each morning.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, there, there's so many different um, layers to leadership. I think that's really important. Um, how do you kind of... And Keep your feet in both camps, so to speak. I mean, obviously your, your core business is a class or a teacher. You talk about that. So you're saying that's the way that you introduce yourself. It's all about the students. But you're also, of course, wearing that much sort of broader leadership hat. So how do you make sure you're both You're doing both of those roles well and I know for me quite often I feel like I'm either being a great classroom teacher or not a very good leader and other times I feel like I'm being a really good leader but not a great classroom teacher. Uh, Do you struggle with that or have you got that kind of down pat pretty well?
1: I don't think I've got it down pat pretty well. Um, I think I sometimes can really struggle with it. The hard part in that space really is making sure that as a leader you're all you're available when you can be but I think it's being visible of all the other work that you have to do and making sure that people understand all the different portfolios because that's a really hard thing is I think people I, I always worry and today's not a school day but you know door closed on the computer
0: totally. what's she, yeah
1: what, what's she doing in there yeah and it might be you know and IT, it could be one of many, many things. But I think being really visible about what we're doing is incredibly important because otherwise it might be, oh, she's forever in her office. She's never approachable. What I'm is in she in trouble?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, that's where it gets a lot harder. And I think of making sure that, yeah. But I, I also think still having a class and teaching also grounds what you do. Um, Because I think kids are pretty good at pulling you back to ground, you know, of how it works. And I think especially our, our students at Melbourne Girls, I think they're very confident, amazing young women. And if you're waffling on about something that necessarily isn't where we need to be, they'll tell you. And I love that about our girls here in that space. And I think and our teachers are, are like that as well so i think making sure that you're forever having conversations at all levels not just with your executive peers keeps you grounded
0: yeah and this is a a, a p- pretty personal question
1: um but but what do you
0: think your um the people that you lead would say about your leadership style like if i had the opportunity and i haven't spoken to anybody um but if i had the opportunity to have a conversation and ask them about you as a leader what do you think they would they would say to that
1: um, i think i think they would say almost if we go right back to your question with what i was like as a student i think sometimes i can talk a little too much and be be a little too verbose and i think that that would still come up i think people would say that I have my heart in what I do and I think the other thing people would say now Matthew this could be good or bad so I think in person is um you always know what Lauren's thinking she's not a good liar um she can be brutally honest sometimes to the point but you know where you stand in that space because she and you know where she stands because she wears her heart on her sleeve so I think that That's what they'd say in that space, which is, you know, it it could be really, really good. But I think there's also different people for different leaders.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I haven't spoken to anybody at your wonderful school. Um, You do strike me as someone who is very Um, self-aware. Do you you think self-awareness as a leader is really important? And if so, are there any things that you do, each day to to kind of build that in yourself, that self-reflectiveness?
1: I think it's incredibly important. And I think one of the things that I always try to do, and I think it's one of my goals this year is to make sure I ask more people about this. And that is, how did that go? What can I do better? And actually always asking. I've always asked students that, but I think it's really important to make sure and I know you've spoken to Ashley Pratt previously Yes. Here before, and I've asked him, you know, how did that go and getting that feedback? But I think I've got people who I can trust here who go, that went really well, or I'm not sure that went down so well. Um, have you thought of doing it another way? I think self-awareness is incredibly important. I think the hard bit of it is... Um, making sure that you do it in a way that you don't end up diminishing yourself. And I had a teacher I presented at the end of last year at a conference and people came up to me afterwards and gave amazing compliments of how wonderful it was. And my first reaction was, oh, no, it wasn't that good and I could have done better and I could have done this and I could have done that. And a teacher who I highly respect goes, can you stop diminishing yourself that was amazing and just own it and I think it was an important bit that self-awareness goes both ways but I would say I'd probably always lean to being more critical rather than patting myself on the back and I think that teachers often with self-awareness will do that they can tell you 10 things that they need to get better at but if you ask them what they were really good at I would struggle and I think that's a An interesting bit around self-awareness and educators.
0: That's a a common, um, that seems to be a common thread in the people that I've spoken to. And and for me, what has been one of the many things that's been so fascinating about running this podcast is that people that I truly admire and are are huge fans of their work, such as yourselves, they're still struggling with the same things that we're all struggling with, which is self-doubt, the feeling that we're not doing enough the feeling that our job is never done um what why do you think that is is it have we made it sort of too much about the students and we fail to acknowledge when we have done a good job or is it just do you think it's just a broader profession thing or what do you think teachers are just not great at taking credit for the amazing work that they do
1: uh I think it's a bit of an education thing I also think it's a bit of an Australian thing because I think there's the tall poppy syndrome of if you stick your head up too high, someone will cut you down. And I remember working for a technology company and presenting in America. And it was like being part of a cheerleading camp. You know, Americans were like, this is amazing. And everyone and everybody sort of lifted each other up. And I don't know whether it was because that was the American nature. Where in Australia. I think we're very good at sort of diminishing what we do. I think. The other thing as a profession is we don't necessarily talk about our struggles that often publicly in forums that are not like this in a podcast or something like that. So I don't think we ever, you know, I think you wouldn't see many people on Twitter every afternoon going, gosh, I just had this horrible lesson and how did this go? You see, oh my gosh, I had this wonderful lesson and it went fantastic. So I think you curated social media and yeah. technology and you, you hear the good things and sometimes you go, oh, my life isn't like that all the time. Maybe there's, totally. it, it is a sort of an interesting thing where we we share the great things, but I, I don't think as a profession we talk openly about how hard some things are sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember many years ago, um, I mean, there's so many great uh, Instagram teacher accounts and following these like, people who are doing amazing things. And I'm sure they were, but I remember looking at it going, wow, that wall display is just amazing. Look how engaged those kids look. And I just had a student that had vomited on my shoes and I found a sandwich in a cupboard that had been there for six weeks. And it was, I just remember like, I think I just burst into tears because I remember for so long thinking, I must just be doing such a terrible job. But it's the whole way that we it's a whole saying that we we tend to um compare our everyday with other people's highlight reels. And it's just it's difficult. And when you're scrolling through in the middle of the night and you're feeling particularly bad or you've had a rough conversation, um it's very easy to to look at that curated content and think, I'm doing a terrible job. Um, but um I think you're so right the more conversations we have like these which talk about the incredible privilege of our profession but also the reality of it I mean it's 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 tricky um it's really really tricky yeah
1: it's it I think and we don't we don't often talk about those things and then it's it's either these or then you know you're almost in an interview perspective and you're like where they'll go so tell us about a difficult conversation you have and you're like oh okay now I think we all have those multiple times a day but Making sure that we talk about it as part of our practice is mm-hmm. is incredibly important.
0: I remember really struggling to um, write an application for my first leadership position, which was, gosh, probably seven years ago now. And I I never wanted to be that teacher that just did things to put on their resume because it sort of felt inauthentic. But I even found the process of sort of talking explicitly about what you did and the impact that you had really difficult because. I like to think that I've always kept it about the kids but to go for promotion almost seemed almost seemed selfish and know, look that sounds crazy but it it seemed like I was sort of losing my heart and my soul somewhere along the way but um yeah what are your your, your thoughts on that
1: I, I think I think, think we need, need to get better to, at it <laughs> I think we need to make sure I don't think you get into schooling and to be um famous or be an influencer right. or garnish your cv it's a really interesting thing of I've, I've heard people say oh we're only doing this to make the school or the person look good i don't think you get into education for that you'd go and work in private in the private sector because i know that when i worked in the private sector the more you worked the more you got paid like yeah it was incredibly tangible the more you traveled the more you did this now i made a really definite decision to come back to schooling and i think we need to get better at understanding and i think people all teachers need to realize no you're not going to get any higher in your career by dragging someone else down that's right and this is forgotten so much. Whenever I hear of a teacher going oh, or, or pointing the finger of oh that person's doing this or that person's doing that, and I'm like, what do you want out of that discussion? I I, see, I think it's a really interesting bit because it's we're never ever diminishing someone else is never going to make us feel better or get any higher on our resume, you know, yep. of how it works. And I think it's often forgotten in schools. And I think you see so many TV programs in the media and sort of you look at suits and law and order or any of those and they're sort of cutthroat shows where you, where people will all of a sudden pull someone else down and end up in their spots. That's not how schools work, they're communities. And we only work through lifting each other up where we all get better. And I think that sometimes gets forgotten in schools. I think, when, especially around promotions, where you're going for something, but really, uh, like, let's let's be really honest here. So you, you go for that promotion. I, I can't think of any promotion in my whole career where I've gone, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing! The amount of pay I'm getting is going to equal the amount of extra work." And and no, that's not how schools schools run off goodwill, and that's. And and a community. So whilst there might be a pay bump, there's a work bump as well that would definitely be double the pay bump. So I think we've got to get better at lifting each other up in that space.
0: Yeah. Do you think you have balance in your life? Is there such a thing uh, in your role? Um, Should we be striving for balance? (laughs)
1: It's a profession, we need to treat it like I think I've had both of the pendulums before. I think it's really interesting the hospital, very highly stressed environment, but balance was incredibly strong because when you walked out at night, you had to switch off for your mental health because you might have had, and sorry to get down, but you might have had two students who passed away that day. And if you don't find a way to walk out of those doors, and do something different you you wouldn't survive in a hospital that's not how it works and i think that it taught me balance then but then when i've worked in a very large school balance was really hard it was a 24/7 thing i think teachers are their own worst enemy with balance i think of um no one's ever told me in a school you're expected to check your email at 8 p.m. at night but we do it um and, you know, we don't have to respond at four in the morning while we're awake, but sometimes people, we do it. And I think it's very, very important to make sure that we find our own balance in this space because it is us. And I think during the pandemic at Melbourne Girls Grammar, we implemented office hours, 7.30 to 5.30 to 6.30. After those hours, we aim as much as possible not to send emails. And we've communicated that to our parent population as well. And I think we're better at finding balance. I think the pandemic has helped with balance because I think we realise that we can work from different ways and different manners as well.
0: I don't know if if balance is even attainable or if we should, because I think teaching is one of those jobs that is is all encompassing and one that we put our whole heart and soul into. So I know there's no balance between term time that I'm just fortunate to have had six weeks off with my family. So I, I don't know um I don't really know how to answer that 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 sort of that question or to approach that. But um what is it that makes Melbourne Girls Grammar School so unique? And you mentioned coming back to schools from working in uh, corporate life. Um, what was that decision like and 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 why Melbourne Girls Grammar School?
1: I think um I went to a co-ed school and I think um I and I would say there were a lot of really strong male personalities in my school. Um And why Melbourne Girls' Grammar, it's it's really quite striking. Every school's got some sort of vision statement in it. I think not every school lives to it now to create ethical women of action. I see our girls do this every day and I look at them and I'm in awe of them every day because I'm like, I wish I was like that when I was in high school. I wish I was that confident. I wish I said yes to everything that I could. And I wish I was here before school playing sport, after school doing debating. And I think what our girls are amazing at and what makes it very unique is every opportunity that they get, they take. And they take it to the fullest level. So our school captain last year She had an opinion piece in The Age about every three weeks, but she took that and she grabbed that with both hands and went, I have a voice. I'm going to write to the media about what I think is very important. And I think that our students, their social justice and where they sit with right and wrong and emerging interests is amazing. I I grew up in a co-ed school in the 90s where not one student would have come out as LGBTI or they would have been bullied. Where here yeah, we have a support group of, of students who, and I think it's a really interesting thing of our students are so accepting and so thoughtful and worried about environmental and sustainability, but not just to the point of saying it to, well, what can we actually do? And I think the actions, what makes Melbourne Girls Grammar unique is it's not just something you read, it's something you see every day with these girls.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's It's so inspiring and so wonderful to see how society has changed um, and it seems so much so that in um, Melbourne Girls Grammar that that's driven so much by the students, which is really wonderful. Um, I'm a dad to two very strong-minded uh, daughters. You can hear one of them uh, in the background. Um, what advice would you give me to be a great parent to strong, independent girls? And uh, is there any any advice that you would give me on that front?
1: Uh, I think I think the advice is, I think, be great advocates for your children. And I think the other thing, if I look at girls who are here that are amazing, one of the things that's really important that we don't often look at is sometimes to get out of their way and let them do what they what they want to do. We've got an amazing girl who finished year twelve last year, and her passion was cyber security. And I think the best thing as a school and as parents was to embrace that and get out of their way so that they could continue on and 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 support them where they can. And I think that sometimes. Um, especially with young women and young girls, non-traditional pathways of technology and things like that, making sure that we allow every opportunity for them to embrace what they're interested in is so important. Um, but I think being champions of your children is probably the best. And I think you you already do that. So <laughs> I
0: think that's that's really um great advice. I remember having a conversation with my wife um, saying I'm so grateful that we have such strong independent girls. It's not always great at 7.30 when it's time for bed um, but it is a wonderful skill to have and um, obviously the school that you're teaching at um, uh, is respectfully a a really privileged school and there are these incredible opportunities um, for, um, for young people for advocacy and to be able to help shape the culture um, and the direction of the school. Um, what would you say to teachers that are working in uh, maybe less fortunate settings about how they could create opportunities for um, advocacy or create opportunities for um, for students to be drivers of their own learning? Um, because not everybody uh, respectfully has that access.
1: Daddy. I think the really important bit in that space, and this is my second ever independent school, my whole career was in public ed. So I think it's a really important area. I think it's making sure that you aim really, really high no matter where you are. So it doesn't matter whether I was starting my career at Sunshine Primary, which is where I first started in the Western suburbs of Melbourne, or now I'm in South Yarra. I think encouraging to always lift where your ceiling is and and dream huge is really important. And I think especially important in in classes and schools where you might not have as much privilege in this space because I think sometimes you're in areas of high wealth and privilege, they're encouraged to dream super, super high, really. But if I look at my own schooling, I'm the first ever person in my family to go to university. Um, But you've got to dream bigger than that. And I think making sure that you do that and if you've got that student in your school that wants to, I think the worst thing that can happen is where someone will say, I want to become a doctor and that, oh, well, no, let's measure that. Well, you know, maybe become a nurse instead. And I've seen that in schools and it breaks my heart where I think, let's make sure we aim really, really high. And I think the other bit, no matter what level of privilege or support is, if we don't hit that, hit that. What are the other pathways? Because schooling's changed, you, you know. If we don't get that ATAR, we we there's different pathways now. And I think always being able to show option A to Z instead of just A and B is really important in schools.
0: And I think there will always be challenges, whether you are fortunate to. Um, attended um, uh, schools with opportunities or schools with with there will always be these challenges and I think it's important to um, to identify that and just take the time to actually listen to the students and and I was reading a quote um, yesterday and forgive me for not knowing where it's from um, but it was saying that that education is one of the only professions where we don't consult the client which is the student and actually ask them, and I know some people are doing that, but it just really made me think. I mean, we have all these ideas of what we should do and what should, what schools should look like, but quite often we forget to ask the people that are actually subject to these decisions. Um, oh,
1: I, I think, and one of the reasons that I fell in love with Melbourne Girls Grammar from the start was there was a student on my executive recruitment panel who I think yeah. asked the best questions on the panel, and I think that that's part of making sure that we do we do that and as we develop curriculum making sure that we do that with the students yeah
0: and i have the privilege of working um uh in the government section in uh, sector sorry in new south wales and um i know my wonderful principal who is phenomenal um she does that as well she has a student representative um on all of the panels and I'd never even considered that. But instead of talking about involving students, actually doing it is a is a really powerful thing. And they would get equal say and equal contribution. And 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 um it's it's not only a gesture, it's something which is so incredibly powerful, I think, and important. And um, Lauren, on that, sort of following that thread, um, how do we like create that thriving culture in our schools? Um, and you mentioned a few um of your approaches to leadership about being open and transparent and honest, but um, how do we sort of, how do you sort of build that culture in the school that you're at? I
1: think how we, how we build it is um, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a tightrope of making sure that we set our goals and we have our frameworks and structures in place, but we also remember that we're human and we have fun. And I think that's one of the big, things that almost got a bit lost in the pandemic and then in staff professional learning. So one of the things I implemented last year was what was called the MGGS Fund Day, which is a staff development day all about connecting with each other as a community and fund stands for freedom, understanding and networking. And it was a full day of whether it was yoga or swimming or Lego or um, singing in a school choir, or um, we had some therapy dogs, but it was all about acknowledging and sharing with our teachers as a community, the great things. And my principal supported the wacky idea and now it's gonna be a yearly event, but I think it's really important. If we're gonna be a community, we have to do all the great things that communities do. And one of the ones we often forget for teachers in schools is to actually have a bit of fun, and it's something I think in leadership we don't talk about enough. We sort of go, oh well, a community is about honesty, leading from the front, and curriculum, and all of that. But we all want to work somewhere where we're valued and where and we we know the people on a personal network. That's what gets us up in the morning: the students, and the fact that we're part of a community and we love it. And I think. It's really, really important to make sure that when we're building a community, we remember that humans are social, social creatures and we allow time, dedicated time, we don't apologise for it either, to have some fun and to connect on a different level.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's so, um, that, that, that's, that's essential, um, and it's, it's really cool to hear that. Like we, we do something similar, um, where we have staff, we have space in our staff development days just to get to know each other. And it's not sort of the tokenistic icebreaker. It's just fun and it's enjoyable. And, um, yeah, it's really great to hear that, um, that you're building that culture where people actually want to come to work and I'll, um, I'll keep an eye on the jobs page and see when you guys are hiring. Cause it sounds like a great staff development day. Um, I was just wondering, um, and I want to be respectful of your time, Lauren. I know you're in the middle of a, a work day. But um, in closing, um, if I was sitting down with you and I was about to embark on a, um, a career in education and we were having a coffee or, in your case, a, a, a tea, I believe it was, Yeah. Um, what advice would you give me?
1: I think it's to find your tribe. And, and and find people and embrace the mistakes that you make and to learn from it but I think I think a bit similar to um podcasts if I've seen someone who I who's an amazing speaker I always I've, I've always go up to them afterwards and go hey can I can I stay in contact I've never had anyone say no to me ever and I think the education profession is one of the most generous professions ever, but we don't go so, and ask people for help. I've never, ever, we wait for someone to offer. And even the other day I said, oh, I'm working on this resource about Chat GTP. And someone wrote back, can I have a look? And I'm like, of course you can. And then someone else went, well, can I? And I'm like, well, oh, it's nothing special, but of course. But I think we've got, I think my biggest advice is don't be afraid to ask because ask for help, ask for curriculum, because I've never, ever had anyone say no when I've said, hey, can I have a look or can I borrow that? And I've never said no when someone said, oh, that sounds really good. Could you talk me through it? And I think that's the best advice I could give.
0: I I couldn't agree more. And like I said, the, um, the only reason why um, this podcast has continued to gather momentum is because of the the generosity of people like yourself and also the education community we are whether you are public private independent uh whether you're at different states or different countries around the world there's this sort of there's this willingness to help each other and I think if I could offer myself any advice from my early career would be just to just to ask because we we want to help you know like yeah
1: and you never know where it'll go and I think that's really important and I think it's You know, I've now been married 14 years, and it was as a result of a question on Twitter. So, over morning, somebody at the time sent a message, my husband actually, but said, Could someone remind me to get Contact Lens solution? And in the afternoon, for some random reason, I reminded him. And then he sent me a message and said, That was really nice. Could I take you out for a coffee? Fast forward 15 years, we've got a house, we've got our pets, but it was a simple online request for a reminder that really changed my life. So I think it's really important, not just for education. I think it's really important for everything, love everything to make sure that we ask and then respond.
0: I, um, I think I might've just Uh, found out the title of this conversation it would be something to do with proposals on Twitter or uh, whatever that may be would um, uh, would your advice be the same for somebody that was entering a, a leadership position what else would you like to add to that
1: I think it really is it's it's around finding finding the right networks and making sure that you've got people who are going to champion and be I think the difference with the leadership one is really make sure that you have a couple of very strong people in your network that you can trust that you know that if you're going to confide confide in that they're going to be honest but maintain that confidentiality because I think it's it's a bit different if you've had a bad situation in a you know in a 3 month review or something you need to make sure that you have that that trust and that confidentiality as part of your network and I think it's important as teachers, but I think we can share things a bit easier. But when it comes to sharing about colleagues and how it works, you do really need that trusted, confident in that space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's wonderful advice. And I wish I had um, asked you that question before I stepped into a leadership role. It would have saved a lot of personal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Lauren, I'm so grateful that you'll take the time to talk with me today, um, as I said, in the middle of your, your, your work day. And And thank you so much for um, everything you're investing into our wonderful profession. Uh, You're a a constant source of inspiration to myself, and I I know I speak on behalf of many educators out there. Um, But thank you so much for taking the time. It's been an incredible privilege to speak with you.
1: Uh, And thank you for sharing the stories of so many teachers. I think that that's one of the really important bits is this is not an easy job making a podcast so actually thanks for sharing the voices and the and building the community because without things like this it's a lot harder to hear the stories
0: absolutely well I I hope you have a wonderful uh, rest of the day Uh, please stay in touch I look forward to uh, to following your journey thank you